Hey there! I'm really glad that you've come to check out the KZMC Weekly Teaching. My name is Ryan Yahtzee and I'm the lead pastor. KZMC gathers together for worship every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. in person. You can also join us by our live stream available on YouTube. If you're from the area and you're not already connected to a church, we'd love to have you come join us. You can find the full details at kzmc.ca. It's my hope and it's my prayer that God will speak to you through this teaching. May you have a marvelous day. Viola Desmond, have you ever heard that name? You've certainly seen her face. Viola Desmond is the lady whose face graces our Canadian $10 bills. And, and she is a remarkable and inspiring uh, person. She has the story of standing up in the face of segregation, fighting injustice, standing up for the oppressed. She was a black woman in Nova Scotia. And the year in which uh, the, the significant event of her standing against injustice was 1946. At that time, men and women who were black in that, uh, in that society were expected more or less to serve as, as servants for white folks. But she was kind of ahead of her time and she ran a, a beauty salon and was quite successful with this business of, of her own. One day she was out for a drive and, and her car broke down in a different village and so while she was waiting for her car to be repaired she went to uh, the local movie theater and this was a theater that was uh, unusual she had not been there before and she went in she bought her ticket and had a seat and she sat down on the main floor she didn't have great eyesight and so she needed to be on the main floor so she could see well well the movie began and it wasn't long until someone came and tapped her on the shoulder one of the employees at the theater and said, excuse me, ma'am, uh, your kind are not allowed here. You need to go and sit in the balcony. And Viola Desmond knew full well what they meant when they said your kind of people and she resisted. She refused. They threatened to call the police. She said, that's fine if you want to call the police. And, and she actually, she paid them the, the, the amount just to make sure that she, uh, the extra amount beyond what she would have paid to be in the balcony so that she could be on that main floor and, and she said feel free to call the police if you want the police arrived they arrested her she went limp they had to drag her out they took her to court and in court she was not given a lawyer she had no idea how all of this legal stuff worked and she was uh, found guilty and faced uh, charges because of that she went on to fight it a second time and lost again and she continued to raise uh, a fury to declare that this was unjust, this was not right, and people rallied around her. Her husband said, good heavens, Violet, just let it go, drop it, and she refused. And because of her pushing back against the system and those who joined with her, in 1954, the laws of segregation were, were dropped in Nova Scotia as a direct result of the fighting of Viola Desmond, this feisty lady who said, this is not right, this is not good. And so I share this with you as an inspiring example of standing up against oppression. We're talking about oppression. This is the exact word used in the account of Exodus of the slavery of God's people in Egypt. The word oppression. Basically, it's, it's forces of, of evil that seek to control, to dominate, to keep someone in their place rather than allowing them to operate with liberty, the fullness of who God's created them to be. So Satan's oppression in the world is resisting the forces of God's goodness. And we took a look, look at that uh, last week in the first week of our series here. What is the oppression that you see in the world around that you care about? I think that we all can see various examples around us 
locally, nationally, globally. And for some of us, we, each of us, I think, have our own particular cause that we are particularly passionate about. And as I was preparing the sermon, it was good, good time to kind of reflect on what instances of oppression am I passionate about? Uh, one of them over the years, and, and to be honest, it's fallen off the radar a little bit due to life realities compared to a couple years ago, but was just the need to be with and to know low-income people. And I think that that's a way of fighting against oppression. You know, oftentimes we say, well, we need government programs to help them out. Or, or other people say, well, they're just, just lazy. Uh, none of which, that, that is simply not, not true. There are deeper, more complex stories and realities involved. And in, in order to offer dignity and honor, in order for folks who struggle on the margins of society to see that they have that worth to change their situations, I think it's so important to be with them to invite them into your homes, to go into their homes. And, and that was an area of oppression that, would, that connected with me personally, particularly when I lived in Clinton, but in the years since as well. Another area of oppression that God has given me a passion for recently is that of, of spiritual healing for people. And, and you keep hearing me talk about Freedom Session, but that is one way that as we dig into our past, as we dig into our experiences, this, the, the instances of shame, uh, the sins that we've committed, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be set free. And so that's another area of oppression that I become particularly passionate about. But what is it for you? What is your, what is your issue? What is the cause that maybe God is calling you to take up and uh, to be a force of good fighting against that oppression? I think that everybody has a call and it's easy for us to kind of look at these heroes, to look at Viola Desmond, to look at Louis Riel, to look at Gandhi, to look at Martin Luther King Jr. To look at many others and we see Moses so our story in Exodus is about Moses these great heroes and we sometimes think well I'm just an average person what can I do but I believe that God can use you the title of this message is could God use you and uh, so that's the introduction I guess but the, the resounding response that I believe is yes yes God can use you and so we're looking at uh, how God can use us to resist oppression and we're using the story of Moses and the Exodus as, as a mirror to kind of hold it up, see how it reflects who we are and see how God might want to shape us. So we're in the midst of this series entitled, This Journey to Freedom. This is a story of Moses and the Exodus and I think it offers insight into our own journeys. We're looking at it in a couple different uh, layers. The, the first one is in terms of personal spiritual freedom. How can we find that personal spiritual freedom? And then the second level is looking more broadly in the world around us. And we'll kind of go back and forth between those two. Some sermons might incline more toward one than the other. I think that this, this message is a little bit more inclined toward looking at the world more broadly around us. But, but Paul, he said in the book of Galatians, he said, It is for freedom that you have been set free. It's for freedom that you have been set free. You know, the gospel of Jesus, he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven so we could live freely as his people, so we could have you know, life forever, so that we wouldn't see eternal death. Um, and, and so in his love, God loves you so much and he wants to set you free. And so for, for those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus, we've been set free. And now there's this reality, for, it's for freedom, the fullness of life, the fullness of God's goodness, that we have been set free. Now today we're gonna to be looking at uh, Exodus chapters two through six. I'm not gonna read all of that, that would take far longer than what we have here. So I'm just gonna summarize it a little bit. Hopefully some of you maybe have done the homework that I sent out in the weekend reminder, read through that already. Uh, but we're gonna look at Exodus chapters two to six 
to get insight into Moses' story and how this can have keys for how we can live more fully into this freedom to continue fighting against oppression in our lives and around us. So we start off and we have, um, Pharaoh has declared that all of the all of the Israelite baby boys should be killed at birth, tossed into the Nile River, and, and as an act of resistance, Moses' mother, so Moses is born, and he lives to be three months old, and it's at, th at three months old where, you know, he, he's growing, he's noisier, he's more active, and, and Moses' mother says, well, I can't really keep him in hiding anymore, so she, she builds a basket, and it's watertight, and she places him in this basket and floats him down the river. Well, Pharaoh's daughter, so Pharaoh, this great enemy who said all the babies should be killed, Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket, hears the baby crying, goes, and she's concerned. She cares about this baby. She has compassion, so she rescues him. But Moses' sister, Miriam, is watching from a distance, and, and Pharaoh says, do you know whose baby this is? And, and so sends Moses back to his family to be cared for, to be nursed, to be nurtured for a period of time. We don't know how long that is. But then Moses is brought back to once he's old enough to be apart from his family of origin, is brought to the, the palace, to the family of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's daughter treats Moses as her own son. He grows up there and eventually, he one day he's out and he sees an Egyptian uh, supervisor beating a Hebrew slave. And, and Pharaoh knows that, or sorry, Moses knows that the Hebrews are his people and he's filled with anger. And so he beats that, that uh, he returns the, the hatred and he beats that Egyptian and kills that Egyptian. Now word gets out and, and Moses knows he's gonna face the, face the full extent of the law. So he flees in terror off into Midian. While he's living in Midian, you know, he marries there. He has a couple of kids and he lives as a shepherd. And during this time, God hears the cry of the Israelites. They're crying out under this hard labor. Exodus 2, 23 to 24, it says, the Israelites groaned in their slavery. They cried out and their cry for help because of slavery it went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And so God looked on Israel and was concerned, um, concerned about them. So Moses is out in the desert and one day he's, he's tending to a sheep and he sees a bush that's on fire. And apparently that's actually not uncommon in the desert landscape for a bush to become inflamed because of how dry everything is. But this bush wasn't being consumed. It just kept burning and burning and burning. And Moses goes there and he meets God in a powerful way. He sees the glory of God. God instructs him to move his sandals. He's on holy ground and he's overwhelmed. And it's in this moment that God speaks to him and God says, I'm sending you to deliver your people. Chapter three, verse 10, it says, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And, and, and Moses doubts, he says, well, who am I? And, and God simply responds by saying, I will be with you. And then Moses asks, well, when I go to the Israelite elders, how will they know that what I say is true? And so God gives him three signs. The first one, he says, take your staff, throw it on the ground, it will turn into a snake. And uh, what's interesting about that is the snake, the snake was like an image for Pharaoh. You think of the, the, the headdresses that the Pharaohs would wear, it looked like a cobra's head. It, it was narrow at the neck and kind of came out around the head. It looked like the head of a cobra. And so this, this snake actually symbolized uh, Pharaoh and that God could control Pharaoh. And so that's the first sign. The second sign, God asked, um, God asked Moses to stick his hand into his cloak pulls it out, it's as white as snow, leprosy, skin disease, and then he tells Moses to stick it back in, and it's healed. 
And so Moses is seeing here the power of God to be with him. And then the other one that God says, when you're with the elders of Israel, another sign that you might need to, to use is to take some water from the Nile, splash it on the ground, and it will turn to blood. And they will see that my power is here, that this message is from me. Moses continues to doubt. He says, I'm not that good at speaking. And, and this frustrates God in the text. We see that, but then God concedes and says, all right, you can take your brother Aaron. He can be your spokesperson. Moses goes on then to speak to the elders of Israel. He says, look it, God has called me to lead us. He's going to give us favor in the eyes of Pharaoh. God's going to lead us into freedom. And he shows them the signs and the elders see this and they believe. So that's the story in a, in a really quick synopsis. And uh, I'm now going to proceed to show you from the story of Moses, uh, four different barriers I think that there are to us stepping into God's call. I believe that God has called every single one of us to work to fight oppression. But there's these barriers that get in the way and we see these barriers in the story of Moses. So the first barrier is we ask, what difference could I possibly make? You've wondered that before. I've wondered that when we have a sense that God can maybe use us, when we think the Holy Spirit's nudging us, maybe when someone else says, hey, would you be interested in serving in this way? We think, well, what difference could I possibly make? When you look at the oppression around you, when I look at the, the way that First Nations people in our country have been marginalized, have been oppressed, have been hurt, and I think like, oh man, like the politics are so confusing, like what difference could I possibly make? I look around and I see addictions issues, the opioid crisis, like what difference could I possibly make? You know what? Moses said this exact same thing. He had this same posture. What difference could I possibly make? I imagine that Viola Desmond also had that response. I imagine that Murray Sinclair, the gentleman who led Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commitment, I imagine that he also said, what difference could I possibly make? But when we ask this, we need to see that God is at work all around us, preparing the way for us to respond to our call. We see this in Moses' story in the hopeful resistance that built up around him. So when Moses was just a baby boy, completely oblivious to this big story he was going to become a part of, his mother and his sister formed a basket, a watertight basket, and set him out to float on the Nile River. And we have to ask, what possibly could they have been hoping for in this situation? What did they think that was going to happen? Verse 4 of chapter 2, it says... Moses' sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. What was she expecting? I would have assumed that if I didn't know the story that a crocodile might have got Moses. Maybe an Egyptian ruler would have seen him and be like, well, that's a, a, a Hebrew baby boy. We need to slaughter him. Maybe he would have starved. Maybe he would have drowned at some point. Like, what did they possibly expect would happen? But it appears that they were hopeful. It appears that they trusted that God was in control, that God was at work, that God was doing some significant things. This was hopeful resistance. And so before Moses had any idea, God was surrounding him with these voices of hopeful resistance. The second thing we see is God's sovereign plan unfolding. I love this. One of my favorite things in, in life is like looking around and seeing the ways that God has set up um, the building blocks of his activity before we're even aware of. Hindsight is 2020, and you look back and you say, okay, so I'm here, or this good thing that God has done is, is here, but if you look back five years ago, he did this, and two years ago, he did this, and 18 years ago, he did this, and it's, it's actually pretty incredible to see God's sovereign plan unfolding long before we actually recognize it. And we see this in the reality that it was Pharaoh's daughter who rescued Moses from the river. This was not 
by chance. This was God's sovereign activity. Moses didn't have a clue, but here God was setting him up. He was learning the customs, the ways, the understandings of the Egyptian people that would help him in his uh, negotiations with Pharaoh. Because he grew up in the palace, he would then have access to Pharaoh, access to the ruling authorities that um, a standard Israelite person would not have had. Moses had no clue while he's playing in the courtyards of Pharaoh, growing up, you imagine a 13-year-old goofing around, he had no idea that God had him there, was sovereignly directing the realities so that God could work through him in some significant ways. This doesn't necessarily connect to uh, fighting against oppression, but I love to see even, so I'm, I'm here as pastor with, with Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church, and I, I very much believe that this is where God has, has called us to in this in this time, my family and I. And uh, I, I love thinking about the, the building blocks. If I was a little kid, and Phil Wagler, uh, most of you, but not all of you might know, Phil Wagler was a, a pastor at Zurich Mennonite Church. Phil Wagler was a guy in my church. He was like 20-something, and I was like, I don't know, 10, maybe eight. And uh, he always showed interest in me. Would, would say hi. When he moved out of home, he gave me an awesome Doug Gilmore poster and two of his baseball bats that he didn't need anymore. I loved it. I was pumped. And and, and so I was kind of friends with him and looked up to him and, and kept track of him over the years. And then it was in 2005, I was at a youth retreat that he spoke at and, and he took me aside and just asked me how things were going with my Bible college. And, and I said, I had an internship to do. And he said, hey, if you want to shadow me, come follow me around and, and, and learn and grow and whatever. And, and so I had no idea what God was actually unfolding, but I took him up on that. Had a great experience with you folks in Zurich for just four months. And then it was a few years later that I was invited to come to the church in Clinton and to be involved there to learn and to grow and to see God at work as well. And then leading up to in 2016 when I joined as, as pastor. And it's just neat. Like I had no idea as an eight-year-old. I had no idea as a 21-year-old when I was invited to do this internship that God was laying the pieces in place. Um, so anyway, that's just one example of God's sovereign activity. And so we can see that uh, when we ask the question, what difference could I make? You can make an incredible difference because God is at work already around you, surrounding you with hopeful resistance, those supportive voices, and God is also working out sovereign realities. He's directing events around you that you might have no idea about to help you to fight oppression in life. The second barrier we see is that so often we respond to oppression with hatred. And this is actually where Nelson Mandela has an incredible amount of wisdom. So he was in prison. He was a black leader fighting against apartheid where uh, the white colonial, colonial uh, folks, they uh, were restricting, oppressing black folks. And they, they said, this isn't right. And they pushed back against it. He ended up in prison. And when he was in prison, um, he reflected back on his time in prison in his book, Long Walk to Freedom. Awesome book. Read it. Top 10 books I've ever read. And he said, he said, it was during those long and lonely years in prison that my hunger for freedom of my own people became a hunger for the freedom of all people, black and white. I knew as well as anything that the oppressor must be liberated just as surely as the oppressed. A man who takes away another man's freedom is a prisoner of hatred. I am not truly free if I am taking away someone else's freedom, just as I am not free with my, when my freedom is taken from me. The oppressed and the oppressor alike are robbed of their humanity incredible insight in terms of the oppressed must not become the oppressor. And, and honestly, I, I, I resonate. I think a lot of the social uh, issues that are brought before us, the cries of injustice in society around us, I think that they're really important and I resonate with them. Um, and I understand that I, I want to be cautious because I understand I speak from a privileged position, but there are times when I do 
wonder, I'm concerned when I see those who have been oppressed, it looks like they're actually rising up to be an oppressor now. That concerns me. I think that's a reality in, in the Israel and Palestine conflict that's come back onto our attention again in recent weeks. Israel has been oppressed globally, historically, in many, many ways, but now they're in a place where they have oppressed by occupying the Palestinian people. When the, the political nation of Israel was formed, they have been oppressing the Palestinian people. However, the Palestinian people, some of them have been oppressing Israel. You look at Hamas and what they're about and the ways that they're seeking to destroy and, and the posture of, of wanting to annihilate Israel. I also think that there's a posture, I'm not saying this for all Palestinians, but for some of them, a posture of having been oppressed and rising up to be an oppressor. And as long as they're trying to oppress one another, this is not going to end well. Um, so anyway, I, I, I share that just to kind of exemplify this reality that so often our human nature, when there's oppression, we want to rise up, dominate, defeat. And this is what we also see in Moses. It's a good thing. Moses sees the oppression around him. He steps out of the palace when he's older. He looks, he sees his people being beaten, being hurt. He's angry about it and rightfully so. But he responds with hatred and he kills the Egyptian and then flees off to Midian because he knows that if he doesn't, he will face the effects of the law. So what good did that do? It didn't do any good. He responded with hatred. And, and so God actually leads him into the wilderness for a time of humbling, for a time of spiritual formation. And so when we respond with justice, respond to injustice with hatred, um, God can't do anything with that. God's intent is for justice to come for all, for the oppressed and the oppressor to join together as brothers and sisters. And that was something that Pharaoh um, God had to shape in Pharaoh to rely on God's judgment rather than taking judgment into his own hands. So that can be a barrier when we respond with hatred. The third barrier is that we don't think that God would call us. Honestly, this is one of my biggest, possibly my biggest frustration as a pastor, is that so many people think that they're not capable of God doing wonderful things through them. You invite someone to, to lead, to serve, whatever, and they say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. They don't have that confidence in terms of what God could do in them. Honestly, it, it drives me nuts. I see so many giftings in all of you. I still see so much capacity, so much insight. And, and many of you think, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not capable, whatever. And uh, we see this play with Moses when he meets God at the burning bush. So God meets him, and then chapter 3, verse 10, God calls him, and God says, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, what God is inviting you to do is certainly not as daunting as, as what it is for, for Moses. But, uh, you know, maybe he had every right to feel overwhelmed. But all the same, the message applies that God wasn't interested in how capable Moses was. It's interesting that there's there's no mention of, of, of Moses' qualifications for this. There's no mention that years earlier he'd had a heart for his oppressed people. There's no mention that he's actually maybe a good fit because he's super familiar with Egypt and, and the, the rulers and the customs. There's no mention of the important spiritual formation that God's been doing in him in the wilderness. There's also no mention of why he might not be good at it. Uh, he was a murderer and he had this horrible sinful past. That doesn't seem to matter to God. There's no mention of that. God just says, now go. And then Moses says, well, well who am I? And God doesn't respond by saying anything about who, who, who Moses is. God just says, I will be with you. That's all Moses needs to know. Maybe that's all you need to know as God calls you to fight against oppression. That's all you need to know. God says to you, I am with you. But then God also affirms who Moses is. Chapter four, verse two, God says, what's in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. 
and then proceeds to show how Moses can use that staff to demonstrate the signs and the wonders of God. So how is it helpful? How is it helpful that God invites him to look at his staff, to ask what's in your hand? This is a part of Moses' identity. It's a part of God basically saying, I'm going to use who I created you to be. And, and Danielle Strickland, in her book, The Ultimate Exodus, I got the, the title wrong last time. Uh, it's called The Ultimate Exodus, this book. Look it up. Excellent. She says, the strategy of God, the strategy that God uses every time when he invites us into a confrontation with a bully is whatever we have in our hand. Moses is obviously underqualified for the job. He's far from a mighty warrior. Moses is actually a humble shepherd. And so God asks Moses what's in his hand. Just a shepherd's stick. But God then invites Moses to use that stick to liberate his people. God asks Moses to confront Pharaoh with himself as he is. He does not need to be someone else. He doesn't need to impress Pharaoh. He simply needs to show up with who he is and what he has, and then God will move through him. So like Moses, you're right, you are nothing special. You're not, I'm not. We're nothing like a Nelson Mandela. We're nothing like a uh, Murray Sinclair. We're nothing like a Martin Luther King Jr. But God is calling you anyways. God has incredible work that he wants to do through you in the world to bring freedom, to bring his kingdom on earth, to fight against oppression. God wants to use you, unique to your gifts, um, but he wants to use you and it simply isn't going to cut it for you to say, who am I? For you to say, I don't know if I'm capable of this. The last barrier that we see here is it's so often easy for us to rely on our own strength. So finally, when we do say yes to God, we say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here. I'm going to let you use me to bring your goodness in the world. And then we just rely on our own strength. We think, well, if I just plan this out perfectly, if I just acquire all of the perfect skills, and I'm not against those things, you know that I'm all about training, you know that I'm about equipping, you know that I'm about planning. Those are important, but we rely on those and we kind of ignore God's power. But God is saying here to Moses, I need you to, to rely on my power. A shining example actually recently, um, so you may be aware of the uprising in Myanmar. The, the, uh, there was a military coup and the oppression of the people and the people are fighting back and uh, fighting back. They're, they're protesting in the streets and you know I don't know all the ins and outs um, but, a, but a, a pretty uh, pretty difficult story in Myanmar these days and, and you may have seen the image of a nun by the name of Anne Rose Nu Tong. And she, uh, the photo is of her kneeling before armed police officers and they were fighting back against uh, the protesters and she kneels in front of them and she's got tears streaming down her face and she begs with them to not kill the unarmed young adults who had been protesting that were hiding in her clinic. They come running into her clinic out of fear. They thought they, they were going to be killed and, and she walks out in the street. She kneels before them and she says, you cannot kill them. She says, and, and, and she reflecting back later, she says, I thought I was going to die in that moment. She says, kill me before you kill them. So she walks out and she's got nothing to offer. She has no plan. She has no power. She's walking in the power of God, trusting on him to carry her in one way, shape or form with incredible courage. And the interesting thing is that the, the military, they had conversation. They said, well, we're just doing our duty. They proceeded, they turned away, they went somewhere else. They didn't kill those young adults. They went on to carry on their violence elsewhere. 
But this actually became a galvanizing image globally to draw attention to the conflict, but also for folks in Myanmar have seen this incredible courage of, the, of that nun and saying, well, if she can stand up against this violence, against this tyranny, well, then I can too. And it's incredible how God's power worked through that situation when she simply was obedient to God's call in, those, in, in that minute, in those seconds, and said, I'm, I've got nothing, but I'm going to be obedient to God. And God showed up with power. She didn't have might, she didn't have eloquence, but God worked through her. And it's the same way with Moses. Moses is, is saying, well, how will they know that what I'm, how will they know that, that you're going to come through? How will they know that anything good will happen to this? How will the Israelite elders believe me? And so God gives him these three signs and says, it's, it's all going to be about my power. So he says, take my, take my staff, throw it on the, on the ground. It will become a snake. Moses does that. He reaches down, picks it up. It's like, this is incredible. Clearly God is at work here. And again, it was a, actually a sign of his power and control over um, Pharaoh, who was, who was uh, the snake was an image for Pharaoh. And then God shows his power again, the hand in and out of the cloak, uh, pulls it out, it's white, it's leprous, puts it back in, God heals it. And, uh, and then the sign also that Moses was instructed. God didn't show him in that moment, but show later to the Israelite elders of uh, taking water from the Nile onto the uh, ground and it turning to blood. God's dominance over the life source. The Nile was regarded as a life source for the Egyptian people. And God's saying, I will give you whatever you need to do this. I, I, I know that you don't have the capacity, you don't have the power to free your people from the Egyptians, from Pharaoh, but I will give you what you need. Don't get in my way by trying to do it on your own power. And, and so, uh, in the way that God is calling you to fight against injustice, I want you to believe that God will give you what you need. It might not be as big and crazy as a situation like what Pharaoh was in. It might be small, quiet ways. God will be at work in you when he calls you. So like I said, God is calling every single one of you. What, what do you think is the way that God is calling you to fight against injustice? Lots of great ways. You know, right now my, my parents are working with... Uh, with um, some folks who are from Burma, refugees coming to Canada, and they're helping, they're working with the government to make sure all the paperwork's there, to make sure that they're quarantining properly when they get here, that they've got what they need. They're in the midst of that right now. I love it. That's fighting against uh, injustice in a little way. Some of you, you know what? You're out with the, with the Huron County uh, Food Distribution Center, um, the, the van, taking food around to the various food banks. That's, that's one way. Uh, lots of other ways. Some of you are paying close attention to the ways that LGBTQ plus folks have been uh, pushed to the margins, resisted and rejected, and you're giving voice to them that we would love them and that we would encourage them. And that's really important work. Some of you are paying close attention to racial reality. Some of you are simply sitting with your neighbor who's experiencing mental illness in, in, in important, in, in really challenging ways, and you're sitting with them, you're caring for them. God has given all of us a call to fight against oppression and tyranny, uh, the influence of the evil one in this world. And we have this honor, we have this calling. Let God use you. If you're not sure how God wants to use you, ask him and then make sure that you have that confidence because of the hopeful resistance around you, because of God's sovereign activity. Make sure that you um, don't respond with hatred, but seek for reconciliation of all people. Make sure that you believe that God will use even an average, boring person like yourself, like myself, and make sure that you believe that God's power will be at work through you. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but we see in Moses' story this roadmap. And I think that if we take a hold of this calling, God will unleash incredible amounts of his goodness to fight against oppression in our world. Same way that the Israelites faced oppression, there's all kinds of oppression around us. Uh, Satan's trying to defeat all of humanity. He's trying to tie us up in violence. 
and sorrow drive us to death and God wants to release his goodness through us. So let's just have a word of prayer. Um, thanks for listening. And this, <laughs> this is hard work uh, rushing through four chapters, uh, five chapters, two to six, uh, for sermons. So I, I feel like I was really rushing through this one. Lots of, lots of cramming. So thanks for, for hanging tight here. And uh, we'll see you Sunday morning on, on Zoom, 10 a.m. Message us if you need the link for that. And uh, spend some time with music, some, some prayer together, so on and so forth. And uh, then we'll head out into breakout rooms, smaller groups, just to chat and see what God's been saying to us through the teaching as well. Uh, looking forward, I, I think we're not far away. So looking forward to being with you all in person. That'll be, uh, that'll be great. Um, so yeah, let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you that you have placed this calling on our lives. Thank you that you would see fit to use us. Thank you for your goodness and how we've experienced that. So God, we pray for freedom. God, I pray that whatever it looks like for everybody watching this video, that you would bring freedom into our lives, that you would bring freedom through us. God, we pray in the power of the name of Jesus against the schemes of the evil and against the schemes of the deceiver, that we would believe in your goodness rather than receive the lies of Satan, that we would trust that you're gonna do good things. And God, we, we pray that, that two years from now, six months from now, 30 years from now, we'd be able to look back and see how your kingdom has come more fully through, through us. We want to be used for that. So, so God, I pray that you would form humility in us, dependence on us, courage, all of it flowing from your goodness and your power. We surrender ourselves to your call. Use us, God, we pray. Amen.